Cheryl and I were just laughing. It's like, yeah, someday our kids, we're just going to laugh and laugh and laugh. And I, I envy you grandparents being able to do that right now, uh, where you hear about some of the shenanigans and you just laugh. But the reason that that is funny is because of shared experience that everybody kind of grew up in a household and everybody had an experience where you had a mother or a father or a grandpa or a grandma that tended to say the same things over and over again to the point where you could finish uh, their line as they began it, right? We all have had that experience with parents and grandparents of they say the same things again and again and again. And the reason that happens is this. If it's worth saying and it's worth remembering, then it's worth repeating, Right? And we, we've been in this series in Galatians. We're going to be in Galatians 5 today, by the way. We've been in this series in Galatians, and you might be kind of tempted to think that the Apostle Paul has been a, a little bit repetitive uh, in this book, that he seems to be hitting on the same few lessons again and again and again. And it's because the Apostle Paul, and a lot of his writings are this way. It's, I believe the Apostle Paul had this as a core value. If it's worth remembering, it's worth repeating. And he wanted to make sure that the Galatian church, who were kind of being attacked by these false teachers that were saying, you don't need to trust in Jesus, you can trust in you, you don't need his grace, you have your effort, right? You don't need his righteousness, you have your own. You don't need his holiness, you're good on your own holiness. He, he was combating this idea that these teachers were uh, propagating in the Galatia churches. And so he wanted them to remember the grace of our Lord Jesus. And so he hits these lessons again and again and again. And today you saw the beginning of the text in the video. Today, we're going to kind of walk through this text, uh, a verse, a few verses at a time, and, and we're just going to be reminded of some amazing truths that Paul is trying to kind of drill into our hearts and drill into our minds. Here's reminder number one. Reminder number one is that Jesus Christ has set you free. Galatians 5.1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. I want you to think for a few moments about being dependent. Right? The word slavery that Paul uses again and again in Galatians and in other writings, that word uh, slavery carries with it the idea of being dependent on someone or something. So imagine that you are dependent on a company for your job and that company is awful right? They underpay you. They underappreciate you. They have offered you a really low amount of vacation time and, and sick time. And some of you are thinking, man, that actually sounds like my experience, right? Just let's imagine it just for a minute for those of you that aren't happy in your environment. But imagine you were dependent on a company like that. Imagine that you became dependent on a caregiver for, for your health needs and they were abusive. They were unkind. They were uncaring. Imagine that you were dependent on a judge for your future. You had committed some crime and you were going to stand before the judge and you heard through the grapevine that he was harsh. He gave the worst, uh, uh, the worst sentences possible. He just was an unkind judge. If you were in any of those circumstances, you would do your best if you could to change those circumstances and you would want to become dependent on someone who was better, more graceful and kind. And the book of Galatians, at its core, it is written to a group of people who were at one time dependent on Jesus, who is all of those things. He is better. He is more graceful. He is kind. And through a series of events, they were becoming dependent on the law. If I just obey, I'll be okay. 
If I'm good, God and I will be good. If I'm righteous, I'll be right with him. And they became dependent on their own ability and their own holiness and their own righteousness. And the law was supposed to do, the law of the Old Testament was supposed to do a lot of things. It was not supposed to do that in us. The the law was never supposed to produce in you and I a feeling of, I've got this. The law was supposed to produce in us a feeling of, I need help, right? It was supposed to produce a feeling in us of, uh uh-oh, right? As you're working through Genesis, Exodus, Vegas, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and as you work your way further into the law, it is supposed to produce in us this idea of, I need help. Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. It's supposed to produce that feeling in us. Wait, wait, wait. You're saying it's not just about murder, it's about anger? You're, not, you're saying it's not just about adultery, it's about anyone who looks at a woman lustfully? You're saying it's about these other things. It is supposed to produce in us a feeling of, I need the Spirit. I need some help. I need Jesus. And this view of righteousness and holiness, where I am trusting in me, I am trusting in my goodness, it does some things that are not good. Let me give you a few examples. It promotes self-authority. It promotes self-authority. That over time, the person who trusts in themselves will begin to make themselves the authority on all things righteous. So it really won't matter what God has to say on a subject. It really won't matter what the Bible has to say on a subject like sexuality. It won't matter. Or divorce. Or life. Or marriage or money, the person that begins to trust in their own righteousness will make themselves the authority and they will instead say, I just believe what I believe to be true. And they will make themselves a little G God and they will become the authority on all matters. Does this sound familiar at all? This is what is happening in our culture This is what is happening in our culture. We have lost sight of the gospel, and so we have made ourselves the authority. And it no longer matters what God says on a subject. It no no longer matters what the Bible has to say on a subject. It it no longer matters what uh, is true and right in the mind of our Savior. We have made ourselves the authority, and it is because we are trusting in our own righteousness and our own goodness. A person who does that will always make themselves the authority. So it promotes self-authority. It promotes self-righteousness. Because in order for me to trust in me, I have to raise me. But guess what else I have to do? I have to lower you. Right? That's the only way that dog hunts. Is I have to lower you and I have to raise me. And so I will use social media to talk about how good I am. Or some of this mindset will just result in an overly judgmental and overly harsh attitude and spirit toward others. It promotes self-righteousness. And the worst thing of all, it demotes Jesus. So it promotes self-authority, it promotes self-righteousness, and it demotes Jesus. And anytime you see in anybody's heart and mind a demotion of Jesus from how truly great and awesome he is, you also see a demotion of joy, hope, and peace. You see a demotion of grace. You see more and more violence in a culture. You see more and more anger in a culture. You see more and more anxiety in a culture. Am I hitting on something here or am I not, (laughs) right? Right, there is something to this in our culture. And I think it all stems from a disconnect 
from God's grace, a disconnect from trusting in his holiness and his righteousness and trusting in my own. And so Paul says, listen, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. He came to free you from self-sufficiency and he came to invite you into a faith in Jesus and a trust in his sufficiency. So he came to deliver you from, can I be enough to the freedom that comes from Jesus is enough. He came to free you into, from anxiety, the anxiety of have I done enough, and he invites you into peace. He came to free you from doubt, and he invites you into security. He came to free you from hopelessness, and he invites you into enduring hope. He came to set us free from the slavery that comes from trusting in me and my holiness, and my righteousness, and my goodness. He comes to set us free from all of that so that we might trust in the sufficiency of Jesus Christ and his righteousness, and his holiness, and his goodness. Jesus came that we might trust in him. That's reminder number two. Reminder, uh, re that's reminder number one. It's hard to do math, right? So, all right, reminder number two is that Jesus is valuable, Look at verse two. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to, it all, to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. So imagine for a minute that you get a call after church and you have a family member that wants to build you a brand new state-of-the-art house, right? This house is going to be incredible. It's going to have the best kitchen, the best bathrooms, bathrooms that are more like a spa than a bathroom, an incredible swimming pool in the backyard, and it will be done in six months. That house is always going to have value. It will. Um, but its value to you is going to be diminished if you refuse to leave your current home and move into the new one, right? You see what I'm saying? That, that, that house is always gonna have value. It's always gonna be state-of-the-art. It's always gonna be nice, but its value to you will be diminished if you say, I'm not moving in there. I'm not moving in there. I'm gonna stay in my old, maybe broken down house, whatever it may be, right? And, and your family members say, now I built you this beautiful new home. Please just move in. And this, and this is exactly what Paul is concerned about with the Galatians. He says, you have been invited into this house called faith. You've been invited in this house called faith. And some of them have a respect for Jesus. You can tell that from afar, they're saying, look how beautiful that house is. Look how incredible that house is. Look how, look how wonderful that house is. But they are refusing to move in and they are instead living in a house called works, a house called their own righteousness, their, their house uh, called their own holiness. And it just mystifies Paul. Right? We're going to get into something that I, I would never say this in church, what Paul's about to say, but Paul said it, so I'm going to quote Paul. But he's getting angry 
about this situation. He is mystified why they would stay in this house over here and remove into a house called faith. And look at some of the things he says in verse three. He says, you are obligated to obey the whole law. He says, listen, if you're going to live in this house called your holiness and your righteousness and your works, he says, you are obligating in that home to obey the whole thing. The whole thing. If you're going to be saved by your own effort and your own righteousness, you have to obey the whole thing. No mistakes, no sin, no no shortcomings. And Paul's point is, why would you stay in this home? It's falling apart around you. Right? Move into the house called faith. Right? Verse 4, he says, you have fallen away from grace. He says, in this house over here, the house of Jesus, this is a house of grace. That this is a house where when you mess up and when you screw up, he is faithful and just to forgive. Why wouldn't, Paul, Paul's just mystified, but why wouldn't you want to live over here with, with Jesus, with, with, a, with a faith in him? And verse 5, he says, we wait by faith for righteousness through the Spirit. The faith house is not the big brother house where everyone does what they want to do. Yes, you just heard that reference in church, all right? The Jesus house is not the big brother house, right? Because we love Jesus and we live in his home, we long for his righteousness. But we understand living in this home, we understand we need his Holy Spirit to live the lives he called us to live. So we live in the faith house knowing Jesus is, in this house we we strive to know Jesus better. We study his word, we get to know him, believing that the Holy Spirit is gonna empower us to live different lives. And you know what the text says? When you can really tell over here, like when the spirit is really clicking in your life, and when the spirit is really making a huge difference in, in your life, is I love how Paul says it. He says the way you can tell that is happening is this, the only thing that counts in this house is faith expressing itself through love. In this house, it won't be, look at me, I've been obedient, I've been holy, I've been righteous. In this house, it will be, how can I love you better? How can I serve you more? How can I express the grace over here that I have been so changed by and so impacted? How can I express the grace of this house to you. And so one of the ways you can tell when the spirit is rocking and rolling in you is that you develop, like Jesus had, you develop a servant mindset of I've been so impacted by his grace. I've been so moved by his love that now I just want to serve others. Reminder number three, when you think about these two homes, it is easy to lose track and it is easy to lose focus. Verse seven, you were running a good race who cut in on you, little circumcision referenced by Paul, right? Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. Brothers and sisters, if I am preaching still circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish they would just go the whole way and emasculate themselves. No, he didn't. Yes, he did. Right? Paul is getting angry. That's in the Bible, right? I wish they'd go the whole way and emasculate themselves. 
Um, Paul is getting angry, and the word for truth here uh, that he uses uh, in uh, verse 7 is really interesting because it describes something that looks really awesome from far away, and then once you experience it, you discover it is as awesome as it appeared to be. Have you ever had that experience where it's like, man, that is going to be awesome, that is going to be good. And then you experience it and you're like, that was everything I thought it was going to be. For some of you, that might be like Disney World. For some of you, that's not Disney World. You're, for some of you, it's like, that looks awesome. And then you got in the middle of it, you're like, this is not awesome. This is expensive and terrible, right? So, but for some of you, that's exactly, you're like, man, this looks like an awesome place. I, th I think through the lens of my seven-year-old, that's exactly what, uh, he wasn't seven when we went, he was probably... He was four when we went. So that's probably what it looked like to him is we were describing Disney World to him and then he experienced it. And he's like, man, this is everything mom and dad promised it would be. That's this, that's this word uh, that, that, that is truth. It's like, man, it lives up to the expectations. So it says, you're looking at this house called faith. You're hearing me describe it. And it sounds beautiful. It sounds incredible. It sounds awesome. The pool looks top-notch. And then you decide to move in. And what you discover is that the grace of Jesus, the power of Jesus, the relationship with Jesus is even better than I was describing. It's even better than I was describing because I'm fallible and uh, don't always communicate well and do my best, but I, I can't describe how wonderful this house is to live through faith in Jesus, trusting in him for your salvation, trusting in him for his Holy Spirit, trusting in him for your eternity, how much better this house is than I have to be good enough, I have to do enough, I have to be righteous enough, I have to, and it's all on me, and eventually we are crushed by the weight of that. So he uses this really harsh language for these teachers. He says, first of all, who's cut in on you? He says, to, he says, listen, you're being hurt by these teachers. He says, you are being thrown into confusion. He says, the offense of the cross has been abolished. And then in verse 12, he reaches the height of his anger. And he says, I wish they just emasculate themselves. I would never say that to you. But the apostle Paul would apparently, all right? And Paul's point is it happened so quickly. Paul says, you were running a good race. You received all this great teaching. And then all of a sudden, a few false teachers come in. And you're going down this road where all of a sudden, like, grace isn't enough for you now? And Jesus isn't enough for you now? He isn't enough? And all of a sudden, now it's like, I can do this. I can follow the law. I can be circumcised. And that, that will be uh, enough. He's angry at the false teachers. And he's frustrated with the Galatians. He says, man, it happened to you so quick. I just was with you, Paul says earlier. I just was with you, spending time with you. And you were a grace people. You were living in this house. And now all of a sudden, person after person has left this house and they're living over here and he's mystified by it. And he talks in this text and in other texts about the offense of the cross. He, he says um, that, that, that this, uh, the offense of the cross for some of them is what was driving them to, to do this other thing. And Paul explains that the cross at times is offensive to some people. And the reason the cross at, the, at times is offensive to some people is because the cross challenges some things in you and I that we want to believe. The cross challenges some things in us 
that, are, that is against what our culture is teaching us is true. And so sometimes you hear the message of the cross and in a culture like ours, in a culture like the Galatian culture, you, you hear the message of the cross and you think that sounds offensive. Well, in light of what the culture is saying, in light of what the false teachers are saying, it does seem offensive. So what are some of those things? I think the, the cross can confront some things in us that if we're not careful and if we're not wise, will become offensive to us. Here's a couple of them. The cross confronts my righteousness. A core part of the message of the cross, a core part of the message of the cross is that we are sinners. We are in desperate need of God's grace. And we live in a culture in the United States right now that is desperate to be seen as moral. And so we have become so judgmental. We use our social media to preach our own righteousness. We hide and we aren't real with anyone. And the cross confronts our righteousness. And the cross says, no, 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 you are a sinner, right? That may seem offensive to you, but it is true. You are a sinner in desperate need of God's grace. And I can prove to you that it's true. This is not just about not living up to God's expectations. For a lot of us, me included, this is me too. I don't live up to my own expectations, right? I wake up every day with an expectation of what I'm going to do. And I don't live up to my own expectations. I find myself kind of mouthing off to my kids or kind of losing my cool, whatever the case may be. I don't live up to what I think is right. And so the cross confronts my righteousness and says, you are a sinner, Steve, and you need God's grace. The cross confronts my ability. Our culture is desperate to be seen as able, that I can accomplish anything at any time. I can do anything I put my mind to. I am able. And the cross reminds me that no, 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 I'm not able, Jesus is able. And there are many things that I can't do, and I need Jesus. I need him to lead me. I need him to forgive me. I need him to empower me. And so the, the, the cross confronts this cultural myth that we can do anything that we set our mind to. We can save ourselves. We can, we can do anything. And the cross says, no, you're not able. Jesus is able. The cross confronts my authority. We are a culture that knows say, knows what? Everything. I know what to do. I know what is right. I know what you should do. I know what my dog should do. I know what the president should do. I know what Congress should do. I have all of the answers to the world's problems. And the cross reminds me that, you know, and you know what happens to me in my authority? When I give myself carte blanche authority over my life, I will lead myself to death just like Adam and Eve did. I need a savior. I need a Lord, big L, Lord, who is going to lead me to life. So the cross confronts me on my authority. It says, man, with you in charge, you're gonna be led to death, spiritual death. It says, you need a Lord. To, is this bumming you all out, right? This is, this is kind of core to the gospel. That it is true that we are sinners. It is true that we are not able. It is true that by our authority we are led astray. But the gospel is that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That you have a grace giver and that is good news. You have one who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or expect. 
You have a big L Lord who is willing to lead you and guide you. This is the heart of the good news. But if you don't ever see that you are a sinner, if you don't ever see that you are not able, if you ever don't see that you, your authority leads you astray, if you don't see those things, you will never see the majesty and beauty of our Lord. And I'm telling you, our culture is peddling stuff that is not true. Every culture in all of uh, history has, but I can only speak about ours. And it is peddling stuff that is not true. It is saying to you that you are righteous. It is saying to you that you are able. It is saying to you that you are authoritative. And we need Jesus because we are none of those things. So you can see how if you are listening to a culture that says you are righteous and you are worshiping at the foot of a cross that says you have sinned, that there's a tension there. You can see that if you live in a culture that says you are able, and the cross says now Jesus is able, there's a tension there. You can see how if you live in a culture that says you have authority, and the cross says all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus Christ, you can see how that would create a tension. And how for some, they might slowly stop believing here and start living over here. You can see how easy that would happen. That you know what, I am a righteous and good person. I am able, I do have authority. And slowly the shift begins to happen. And Paul's point is, man, just be vigilant. See, I, I said that word when I practiced and now I can't. Vigilant shouldn't try to use $5 words. I'm a $2 preacher. All right. Um, Paul says, be vigilant, be aware, and pay attention. And never lose sight of the beauty of this house. You remember the first time you realized how beautiful this was? The first time you were exposed to God's grace and God's authority and Jesus's example. And you start, never forget that moment and never move out of this house and trust in something less. Paul says, be, uh, be, pay attention. I'm not even gonna try again. Pay attention and, and, and make sure you're living in the faith house, all right? Last argument is what you think is going to happen is not going to happen, all right, to the Galatians. He says, you see, my brothers and sisters, uh, you, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. Paul is once again addressing the fear of living over here. Right? He's addressing the fear of living in the grace house, of living in the faith house, of living in the Jesus house. And the, the fear is that when you learn and experience the grace of this house, is that this is gonna become the big brother house. Right? And it's going to be like Sinapalooza over here, right? That, that's the fear that people have had throughout all uh, human history since this message was first given to Paul. And Paul says, no, listen, if the gospel was that you could be uh, forgiven of any sin, just period, if that was the extent of the message, there would be some engaging in the flesh, right? Who wouldn't engage the flesh if that was the message? If the message was, hey, sin, whenever you want to sin, and you can be forgiven of, of anything, period, that would result in engagement of the flesh. 
but that is not the message of the Christianity. The message of Christianity is that you are forgiven of any sin and you are invited into a relationship with Jesus. You are invited to this house. You are invited to follow him. You are invited to receive his grace. You are invited to study his example. You are invited to him. And Paul says, this is the core of the message, is that your sin no longer keeps you from this house. You are, your sin has been forgiven. So you are invited to live here, knowing Jesus, experiencing his grace, walking in his holiness, walking in his righteousness. You are invited to the big, beautiful, incredible house called faith. And since that is the message of Christianity, the message of Christianity is not do whatever you want, Jesus will stamp your heaven card someday. That is not the message. Right? The message is that your eternal life begins the minute you step into this house. You are living the life that you are going to live forever, knowing Jesus, worshiping Jesus, following Jesus. Since you are invited into this house, we wouldn't dare indulge the flesh because we have received the Holy Spirit. Instead, what we would do is what Jesus in his example showed us to do. And Jesus' Jesus's, uh, spirit is given to us, so empowered by the Holy Spirit, what he's leading us to do, and that's this. We serve one another humbly in love. That's what it looks like to live in this house. It's not indulging the flesh. It's not indulging the sinful nature. Of course, we fall short. Of course, we stumble. Of course, we still sin and we are forgiven but we're striving to know him better. We're striving to uh, be more empowered by his Holy Spirit. We're, we're striving to study his example in scripture. And where all of that leads us is this. The only thing that matters is this, that we serve one another in love. And this is a litmus test for how the spirit is working in your life. Am I about my way? Am I about my ideas? Am I about my righteousness and my holiness? Or am I humbly serving others? the way Jesus did, being like him. Paul wants freedom for you. Paul wants freedom for me. It is the freedom that comes from knowing Jesus. And this freedom will lead you to a new and better life. This freedom will lead you to joy, hope, and peace. This freedom will lead you to security. Be free in Jesus Christ. Be free. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the grace house. We thank you for the faith house. May we live over here. May we not become drawn or deceived by other messages that we hear in culture or just around us, that our holiness is enough. May we never believe that your holiness is enough that our power and strength is enough that we're able to do anything. No, you're able to do anything and you want to do it through us. May we never trust in ourselves. Instead, may we trust in you. And may we experience the freedom that comes from living in your grace house. And may we never, again, never be deceived, never be turned around, never buy into false teaching, that teaches us otherwise. Uh, it is hard in every culture to remember this. It is hard in our culture to remember this because our culture is desperate to be seen as righteous. We are desperate to be seen as able. We are desperate to be seen as enough. 
And today we want to be reminded that you are enough. And you are able. And you are a grace giver. And we want to trust in you. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.